fun because I, I get to learn again. I have a lot of skills and, and instincts that are helping me along, but it's like, I get to be bad at my job and like learn as we go and figure a lot of it out. But it's been really fun, man. And it's fun because like the thing that I love about this so much is, is if this existed, I would use it, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother building it if anything existed that touched on this, but no, but nobody's built it. Nobody's built it because it's actually pretty dang hard. And, you know, it's not easy to pull this stuff off. And everybody I talk to Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. And this is part two of our interview with Al Doan. If you missed part one, you have to go back and listen to it because it's pretty much pure awesome. So Al, we, we have covered a lot of things so far. I think that what I'm kind of fascinated with is where we ended off on part one. Talking about, you know, having these previous successes, you're still a young guy, you've got young kids, and work doesn't have to be so financially driven. Like it's almost, it almost sounds like it's more like this question of what do I actually want to do with my life instead of you know, what society is always saying of get more, get more. Yeah. How would, how would you say that better? Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's interesting, man, because I think, I mean, if you think about why you show up to work every day, a big part of it is money, right? And if you're an entrepreneur, a big part of it is so that it doesn't always have to be money. But as soon as it, as soon as you get any bit of money, you're, you're still stuck because the only thing that you know how to do is when well, we all tell ourselves this, I really love, I just love business. I love building things and doing it and it's like yeah i mean that's fine but you but you love that because it's all you know right like when i was when i was 17 my dream was not to work way more it like i liked doing stuff and i liked thing like not buying things but i like doing other things and so anymore i mean literally like i i left the quilt company and was looking around was like i just need I just want to go and build some more stuff. And like, that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate. And so what if what the way that you keep scoring businesses with dollars, like, so what, I guess I'm going to keep getting rich if I'm good at doing this stuff, you know, and it, like you kind of sell yourself this, this tale. And as you get further and further down the road, I mean, I have to have these conversations. Like I don't have to have any of this stress, right? Like I don't have to, I don't have to wake up in the morning and feel anxious ever again because I'm fine. So why am I still doing it? What is driving me here? You know, because growing pretzel, pretzel's been its own bear, right? Where it's like there's uh there's you know, finding the right co-founders is still hard. It's funny, I, I was talking to a buddy who was like, Man, you must be amazing. It must be amazing to do this again. Like you've you've got this super secret power now that you've had your success and like you get to play it on the secret level. And I was like, Yeah. Imagine your dad getting divorced and then telling him he should be really good at dating because he's already done it once. Like that is the, the essence of a second time founder, right? Like you show up and you're like, man, I, I don't know. Like I, I was good at the quilting. I'm not good at finance apps. Like I'm just trying my best here, but you have a little more confidence in yourself and you've seen it go a little bit. See, it's a little bit smoother, but it is still just really hard to get back into it. And so trying to find your, yeah, trying to find like sort of why you want to be doing this, I think is, is super meaningful. And for me, for me, I kept coming into this spot where like, so I just need my people working on a, on a hard problem, right? Whatever it is, like 
I could, as long as I'm going out to lunch three times a week with people that I love, I think I'm in great shape. And the hard part is like your people are rarely free to go and start another thing the same time you are, or you have people that are also the leaders of organizations and none of us want to work for each other. We all like, I think our dream is maybe just to like, I don't know that I think that's why people turn into investors so they, they can like get together and I'll be alpha whatevers and, and, and put their money somewhere and that nobody gets to say they were the ones that built. I don't know, but that's, that's kind of a real spot. And so like, I didn't, my people, the people that I knew and loved or know and love weren't available for pretzel. And so I, I went and hired my team or found my team and assembled them and, and, and got going and I'm like, I'm growing to love them. Right. We're a family that's growing, but we're, we're, three or four months in and, and having, having a grand old time. But like the, the idea was the big idea. And then I solved for the people. And again, I mean, like, it's not, it's not easy. It's not a dream. It's not, you know, it's, it, it, I haven't solved all of, you know, what, what's the meaning of life problems. And I don't know that if I was doing it with a couple of, of old buddies that it would be any better because we'd probably be way lazier than I am right now. But I mean, it's, it's a real, it's a real question that I kind of circle around and uh, worry that like my end game is just riding my tractor around my farm. And, and that's, that's what I do. There's, there's this great book called the, um, Oh, what is it? It's the guy that started visa D Hawk. I don't know. He's some dude out of Delta, Utah that ended up being the founder of visa. It's weird when you think about visa because, because you never think of who the founder was because it's like this conglomerate network, but the birth of the chaotic age is what the book is called. And, and so this guy like goes and builds visa and then like steps down and just goes and works on his farm and like does that for 20 years and, and then dies. And it's like, it's like, man, if you just invented like the largest financial network to exist in the history of the planet, what do you do after that? Like you could serve on boards, like you can stay busy and keep yourself occupied, but like, how do you actually like, what do you do? What do you follow it up with? What, what else? Like professionally, you're not reaching for anything else. And so do you just not be a professional anymore? I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting problem. If anybody has it solved, feel free to shoot me a note. Okay. D Hawk, D E E. So D E D E E H O C K. Yeah. D Hawk. That's right. Okay. I, I'm just found, just found it on Amazon here. I got to add this to the wish list. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's such an interesting story because you, like, literally, you can ask anybody, like, I have no idea who started it. Well, yeah. Well, so I'm fascinated with this because, you know, right now, we were talking before about trying to start this real estate investment trust. We're, we're you know, yeah. working on it for almost a year and a half. Finally got our paperwork back from our lawyers, and we're doing this kind of, you know, we're doing one of the equity crowdfunding exemptions so we can advertise it publicly, even though it's a private deal, right? 506C. And I, I think about this, like, like you said, like my, the, the two decades I've been pretending to be an adult, it's all about the growth. It's all about how do you get more, right? Yeah. And right now we're playing in the space of, for the people that they, they played that sport well enough and now they want to preserve, right? What, how do you appeal to that? What's different about that? What are the skill sets that they need to like, cause we kind of, we do want to educate and help them make decisions, not just about our investment, but about their portfolio in general and their, you know, the long-term financial security for their family and stuff. Right. Well, well, preserve is such a weird, I mean, like, like it's such a weird thing to tell somebody to do, right? Like I'm 36, 37 years old. It's like, all right, you're done preserve now. And it's like, man, I don't know what I don't love being like a, I don't want to be a VC, 
right? I get in there and I'm like, that doesn't feel very fun to me. And so it's like, I don't know, how, what do I do in my career now? Like, I, I, I don't want to be an operator till I die because it's really hard to be the operator. But like, screw it, man, I have no idea. Like, I don't want to preserve, but I don't want to, I don't know what else to do. So I just keep yeah. Going. Well, you know, it's interesting, um, not only talking to people kind of in your position in life, but also other interviews, you know, I think about when I was watching just recently and the guy said like, it's, he finds it tough to be in that space because all his friends or the people around his life who aren't in his position are like, yeah, cry me a river. Oh, life's so tough for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. No, it's the, it's the, you, you have money. So that means you must not have any problems. Happiness. Money doesn't buy happiness. It's like, yeah, but I, I want to be able to answer that for myself. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then without fail, you get there and you say, oh, it really doesn't. You know, it's like, it's like the entrepreneurs that come into the, I, we'd have these guys come into tech stars all the time. And they'd be like, they'd be like, what's, what's the biggest problem you face? They'd be like scaling, scaling is the hardest. And we're all like, Oh my gosh, is it too many customers? That's your biggest problem. You wankers. Like, how dare you? We're over here just scrapping for three people to come use our product. And your biggest problem you can think of is scaling. Well, then when you hit scaling, you're like, yeah, for sure. That's way bigger. Than problem <laughs> but it's the, yeah, but it's exactly, but it, but it is, happiness, but like, I want to know, okay, I want to know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but think about it this way, like for however many centuries humans died from malnutrition as, as a rule fairly often, right? We have got really good at that sport. And so now what's killing us is that our body is hardwired to go for sugar, fat, salt, and cholesterol, because those items pack more of a caloric punch and we're more likely to keep you alive. Now that's killing us right yeah. that that human survival mechanism taken to excess is is you know heart disease number one killer in this country at least right and so you think about that like for starving people hearing us say oh i'm just struggling to figure out how to manage my weight do you know what i mean <laughs> right exactly <laughs> which like tell me your 40 year old friend who hasn't started whining about their weight i yeah. i don't think i have one right and and yet it's <laughs> it's such it, a it is you the guys have that problem where you're swimming in too much good food. Oh, yeah. I'm the worst. Am I right, people? Yeah. You know what I mean. Listen, it's summer, man. I I I decide like I didn't have to worry about what I ate. Like I had like the metabolism of a 15 year old until I was like 37. You know, <laughs> and like you know three three four bowls of ice cream after dinner. I mean, like I just was not paying yeah. attention, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden you start getting this little spare tire, and you're like, where did that come from? You know, and Oh, so I read yeah. like I read Tim Tim Ferriss's The Four Hour Body, right? And and it works. I do it for like a month, and I drop two belt sizes, and I'm like, dang. I'm like, dang, okay, you know. Well, all summer I look at everything we do with anyone besides our own family, and like we, it's it's all white sugar. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's all carbs and sugar. That's that's what my people when we get together. <laughs> apparently, we eat carbs and sugar. That's what we eat. You know, and it's like, if I just ate what was in front of me, no wonder that would kill me, you know, give it, right. give me 30 more years or something, you know, 40 more years. That's, that's, that's going to kill me. Right. Yeah. So I guess what I'm interested in is like knowing at the risk of most people are just, most people are just desperate to get enough money to have the problem. Okay. Right. But yeah. thinking about, thinking about this idea of, okay, when getting more, isn't like this desperation you wake up with and go to sleep with right trying to make those decisions go ahead well i was gonna say i i actually think i speak to both sides right because because the way like the 
the, you know, the traditional like budgeting approach is, Hey, we like, I've never had anybody set a goal for me around my finances. that wasn't spend less or earn more. Right. I mean, that is, that is every, that's Dave Ramsey. That's Suze Horman. It's like, Hey guys, geniuses spend less or make more. Now let me tell you a thousand parables about how this works in real life. And like, look, I started cutting my hair at home. I'm saving a hundred dollars every three months. And now I've, I earned enough to buy a TV. You know, it's like, all right, great. So like, what if we could set some goals around our finances that weren't just spend less and save more? And uh, what would those goals look like, right? I mean, maybe it's intermittent fasting, but for your finances. Let me let me set you some challenge on this on this stuff, and we're just going to pay attention to like, can we not spend money between ten and six? Or you know, and, and I don't want to do it forever. I want to do it for a week. You know, like like it's stuff like that, that. That can I just can I just give you a reason to look at your finances and a goal to set or some way for you to have ambition around this that isn't that that doesn't exclude the the guy making twelve bucks an hour that works at Arby's, right? Like mm. like he he or she should still be able to enjoy their finances and plan for stuff and do things. And, but I mean, like the reality is right now, it's like, oh no, you don't have enough. We can't even talk to you. I don't, I don't know if you ever ran into this, but like you call these, these, you know, when you're a kid growing up and you got $2,000 saved up and you called some of these money managers and stuff, they're like, listen, buddy, so you got 10 grand, you're not talking to me. It's like, you didn't, you didn't make enough to be even be in the group. And I feel like that's how we treat uh, a lot of people just like, oh, you make 15 bucks an hour. Great. Once you make enough to actually be in the conversation about how to save money, then we'll come talk to you. And it's like, dude, all right. So at 15 bucks an hour, your job is like pay your rent and eat some food and like, you know, go to a movie once a, once a month. And like, maybe it's, maybe it's this different world, but the problem is the exact same as any of these other guys. Like you still have no idea where your cash is going. You ask those guys where their dollars went they don't know any better than, than uh, you or I. And so, you know, I, I, I I look at it a little bit different where like, yeah, I, I think that this serves as much of a, of a need for those guys, for the guys on either end of the spectrum, the ones in the middle that like, just want to be, you know, the, the sort of athletes of finances, they're, they've got their budgeting tools. They're great. They're taken care of, but like the rest of us that, that, you know, like I'm rich and I still get anxious to look at my bank account sometimes. Cause I don't know what's going on in there and I just don't want to. Right. But it's like, why why do i need to be scared and it's scary it's scary sometimes because you don't understand everything that's happening in there you're not sure where money is moving you're worried you don't have enough you were like you're worried about all of the outcomes of this thing and so like let's start solving earlier i don't know i i think i think a lot of this gets better when when i can tell you a cool story about what's happening in your world and it's not done in a spreadsheet like like I, my dream is that in 10, 10 or 20 years, our kids will, will look at us and they'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You say I have to look at bank ledgers to understand your money. Are you kidding me? And you couldn't double click on, it says Amazon and you couldn't just open that up and see what was in there. You went to Walmart and it was just walmart.com. And that was it for $300. You had no clue what was in there. Are you kidding me? And I'll say, yes, my son. And we broke the chains of the bank ledger. The Excel spreadsheet <laughs> files are finally off us. And now we can double click on these transactions and actually see what the crap our money is doing and where we're leaking and where we're doing great and getting great deals. And the fact that we buy bananas every three days should somehow surface in my world. 
It is it is interesting the effects on human behavior that that little bit of information changes, right? And yeah. you think about I don't know Warren Buffett quote about risk comes from not knowing what you're doing, right? It seems like there's right. a relationship there. Applicable, yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny because my Fitbit. I bought a Fitbit just because I was curious how my sleep was, right? And it doesn't. It doesn't tell me to set goals for sleep. It doesn't tell me to go to bed earlier. It just is exposing what's happening in that world. I hit in my REM. Am I hitting my? You know, like, like how many hours am I actually getting? And when I know that. I, I do what I want with it. Like I, if I want better sleep, I know that I can improve it here. And if I'm fine with it, I'm like, good, screw it. I'm, I'm great. Right. But I, but I just wanted to know, I just wanted to have visibility into the, the data around my health. And so it, it did a fine job of that. And so finances, finances is this weird forgotten one where it's taboo to talk about, you know, like you can't tell me how much money you make. I can't tell you how much money I make. We can't talk about, you know, how much it costs to get your apartment. We can't, you know, we can't have those conversations around any of this stuff. And, and there's a lot of reasons why, but it's like, outside of sex and money, sex is fine to talk about now, but like money is still in this weird spot. And it's weird because some people are good at reading that language and others aren't. And it's weird because some people, you know, like there's just all this sort of taboo around it. And I dream of a day when I, when like we can talk about our trips to Costco and, and actually show what was going on. Like we could compare our actual transactions and, and the items we found and, and what's great about it. Like there's a lot of cool stuff we got to do on the other side of sort of living in this world where this stuff is liberated. That's funny. I, uh, I told my wife that you were coming back on the show. She's like, Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> and I told her about the app and she's like, Oh, I got to get that. She's like, yeah, man. Never sign up. Never sign up. No, it's, it's so exciting to be building this, this again. I've never done a, I've never done a full software uh, play, right? I've done e-commerce every time I've, I've built something. And so to like do it, do the proper software, software bit and have to find a CTO who's my co-founder and not a marketer and and build these you know sort of think through the stories and stuff it's everything is around this interaction and and like that people have with your app which is a way different thing than like the way that i'm familiar with driving value into people's world and so it's fun it's fun because i i get to learn again i have a lot of skills and and instincts that are helping me along but it's like i get to be bad at my job and like learn as we go and figure a lot of it out but it's been really fun, man. And it's fun because like the thing that I love about this so much is, is if this existed, I would use it, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother building it if anything existed that touched on this, but no, but nobody's built it. Nobody's built it because it's actually pretty dang hard. And, you know, it's not easy to pull all this stuff off. And everybody I talk to says, I'm scanning a receipt. That's kind of hard. And I'm like, yeah, I can make it pretty dang easy. And I just have to think that there's a subset of people that are interested enough to to give it a shot. And to like, you know, it's sort of sort of build this culture of like, yes, I would like a receipt. And I'll snap a photo, throw it away and, and off we go. But like, yeah, give me a receipt because I actually want to know what's going on in my world. I think there's a chunk of people that'll do that. And I think I can make it more and more interesting for them to do, right? If I can get them rewards and and all the other stuff that exists once once you trust me with your receipt. Well, that's what I want to be doing. And I have so much ADD. I just don't even look at them. You know, I'm like the poor finance people in my companies tracking down all the expenses that I like all those thrown away receipts and lost stuff. And you know what I mean? Well, if you can just snap it and tag it as yeah. a company, man, you can pull that whole thing out and it's done. Yeah. You've got it. It's stored. You're ready. Well, 
Okay. So besides that, everybody should be going to pretzel.io to, to get on the wait list. Maybe yeah, for a couple of waitlists, come chat in the forum. Come tell us what's, what you wish was there, what's good and what's bad. We'd love to ha- hear from you. Yeah. Well, maybe shifting gears here for just the last couple of minutes. I'm interested in coming from such a tech background, you're yeah. doing some more real estate stuff. Tell me about, tell me about why, why, why mess around with real estate? No, so I'm drifting into this real estate space, right? And, I, and I'm sort of landing in this spot where, where I think that there's a lot of, I, I don't know. Well, so the town that I'm in is, is a 1500 person town. It's very small. There's been no development here since like the 60s or 70s. And so if anything's going to happen, I've got to do it. Now, buying 27 buildings and like restoring brick faces and painting murals and doing the engineering on second floors in these 100-year-old buildings, right? Like I've, I've gotten my feet wet in, in working with the trades and, and uh, building these things. And so my sister and I started a little real estate investing group. Well, it's just the two of us, but we... We needed, we needed a hotel capacity in the town. And, and so it was either, you can get a hotel, like a small 40 room hotel is going to cost you about 4 million bucks, which means you got to have about a million dollars to put down to go and get this hotel. So we're either raising a million bucks and hoping to get like an, you know, a six to 11% return or whatever hotels pay out or uh, which, which was just a crappy way for, for us to put a million bucks to work. Or my sister and I just went around and started buying up houses to turn into this little Airbnb center. So we've got like 12 houses that we're turning into, turning into uh, you know, short-term rentals. And the crappy thing about these houses, we bought them and they all had renters in them at like 500 bucks a month. The houses, like the average value was like $30,000. It, it was a cheap buy. But, but like you make more money being a slumlord. Like there's a reason these guys are slumlords because 500 bucks on a, on a house that you're going to, you know, it's 30 grand is, is easy. And if you remodel it and you're in $80,000 and you're charging, you know, 900 bucks a month, it's harder to get them rented. Like it's just hard and your margins are thinner. You're, you're making like a hundred dollars instead of $300. And so, and so like, we have to be really deliberate to go into this space and start to fix some of these with the intent that like, you know, your payout is at the end and you're storing up equity and all that kind of stuff. But Man, it, there, there's a real financial incentive for crappy landlords to stay crappy landlords. And I didn't realize that until I got into it. But then I've, but now I'm poking around all this other, you know, like, like all these other sort of ways of, of solving this problem for small, small towns. Cause I think, you know, I like no big hotel is ever going to come in here. And so there's, I'm not the only town that sits like this. And so I've got a, I got a whole little uh, Google doc that's like, how do I solve this? problem this sort of small hotel problem is not going in and buying a bunch of houses all over america and flipping them in airbnbs i don't think that does it but there's like there's some cool guys that have done some cool stuff there's one group out of uh, kansas city that was buying up elementary schools in small towns in iowa and they'd remodel them into apartments in like towns that were under five thousand people just these small towns they'd flip these elementary schools that are these big beautiful brick buildings that can't be used anymore because they built a new elementary school and uh, they'd buy them, turn them into eight or 10 unit apartments. And, and there's still like old people that are looking to rent apartments. You know, they, they want to downsize and move into something or kids coming out of high school that want to, you know, stick around and, and move out of their mom's house and get an apartment, you know, like they're solving some of this. And so a lot of that kind of stuff, I think there's a lot of innovation waiting to happen. And the real estate models are old and archaic and 
nobody really tries stuff in there. It's like, this is the way it's always been done. And so if you get to be at all innovative and, and adventurous, there's a lot of fun stuff in real estate, man. <laughs> I love it. Well, what do you want to end with? I feel like we covered a lot of good things. What's doesn't have to oh, do with anything here. What just, it could be anything. What do you want to, what do you want to leave with? Well, gotten into woodworking as of late. Yeah. What are you making? <laughs> Dude, I'm building that. So this is my try. I don't, have you ever been into these old buildings that have like plaster on the walls? Yeah. You know, like, so like, built like, a, up, like 1900 kind of. Yeah. There, so there's a bunch of lath. It's like these little one inch boards. And so I had this grand idea to build my wife an eight foot table out of this, <laughs> out of this eighth inch lath that I've like glued together. It's taken me what feels like years. Her birthday was in July and I was supposed to have it done. It is not done. But I built this huge slab out of these tiny laths. I'll send you a picture. And then, and then like bordered it with this, with this walnut that I, I got hewn off of my farm and I tried dovetailing for the first time. I I've like, it's, it's hard because everything that I touch with this stuff. I never make the thing that and be like, oh, I've made, I've dovetailed a thousand things. Let's add a dovetail. It's like, no, what's the thing I've never done? And I'm going <laughs> to try that. And now I'm going to try this other thing I've never done. Like I literally, I used a planer for the first time. I used my dovetail jig for the first time, a router for the first time. I did like everything is just like, oh, you've never done any of this. Great. You're going to love it. Let's, let's throw you in there and try it. I think it, it's sort of the same way I approach my entrepreneurial journey of like, yeah, if I, if I've done it before, it's not as fun. So instead of ever actually enjoying the flow and just like leaning back and knowing the road, I'm going to go find some crap I've never done and try and get really good at it and have a blast along the way. I, don't know. <laughs> I love it. To work. <laughs> That's too awesome. Okay, man. Well, I appreciate you coming back. This is really fun. Let's, let's, let's do it again, but not wait four more years. Hey, I'll take it any way it comes, man. It's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, this is great. Bye, everyone.